uh, it's good to be back. We, we just got back from visiting family in uh, Akron, Ohio, where we're originally from. And uh, it was great to be there to spend time with their family and uh, just get some, some time to, to connect even just the four of us. Um, but one of the things I noticed um, about being back in our hometown was the emotional attachments that I have to that place, both good and bad. Uh, there's certain places in my hometown where I actually, like, being there made me feel anxious. I was sitting at a table and noticing my leg just doing this. And I'm like, what's that all about? It's weird. There are other places that I just, I couldn't even drive past because they're, they're too sad. Uh, things that happen there, uh, I, just, I just didn't feel like revisiting in the moment. And there's other places that make me feel safe and happy, like the Village Discount Outlet, the greatest thrift store known to mankind. I once found an orange t-shirt there that on the front said, rock and roll ain't noise pollution. And on the back it said, Nathaniel's Bar Mitzvah. I I wore that shirt for like 10 years. I don't know who Nathaniel is, and I wasn't invited to his Bar Mitzvah, but I love that shirt. But I also found this pineapple shirt there, and I'm pretty excited about it. Um, (laughs) But why, why do these memories stick with us? You know, sometimes in unexpected ways, even after many years and with a lot of healing, sometimes there's still pain, there's still scar tissue from, from the past that we carry around. And we're going to do a soul care series that's all about healing uh, for the next five weeks because it's important that we don't ignore those areas of life. When we have those painful memories or those feelings of anxiety, it's important that we don't just try to push those away and ignore them because too often we, we find ourselves just trying to survive, Right? And that means we ignore our pain or we find ways to numb away the pain. Or worst of all, we let it change who we are. We're hurting people who then hurt other people. Instead, we need to tend to those areas of pain and weakness and brokenness. We need to go there. We need to ask for help. And we need to do the hard work of making sense of it. Finding healthy ways to move forward in the midst of it. You know, one practical example is this. One time I was playing volleyball with a group of pastors, very athletic pastors, I promise you. It was very competitive. And uh, I went up to block somebody at the net, and when I came down, I landed on his foot and heard pop. And my ankle made, you know, turned away. It's not supposed to turn. It's supposed to go like this, not like this, right? And, uh, and so I, I immediately knew this was not just a, oh, I just, you know, kind of tweaked my ankle. I knew it was bad. You know, within two hours, it had swollen up like twice its size. It was black and blue on every side. And I was like, I've done this before. It'll be fine. Fast forward to six months later, I still was not able to even do a light jog. The pain was so great. Why? Because I don't like going to the doctor. Who else? Who else likes to not go to the doctor? This series is not about this, but can we just all commit to getting over that and going to the doctor? Because <laughs> I went six months of pain, and then I went, and he was like, yeah, your ankle's torn in a couple places, and you haven't let it heal. I'm going to put you in a walking boot, and once you're done with that, you're going to do physical therapy, and then boom, after doing what the doctor told me to do, actually dealing with the issue, I was able to find healing. And in the same way in our lives where we have brokenness, we can't just hope it'll go away. We have to go there. We have to, we have to dive in to do some soul care. We have to draw near to Jesus and to other people and seek healing. 
We're going to encourage each other to do just that. Seek healing from the pain and struggles that we faced and that we are currently facing. And also we're going to encourage one another to be proactive about building health in our lives. Not just reacting to the past, but building health into our present and in our future. The idea for the series came from three places. First, uh, we have a, a weekly leadership team meeting here where we study the Bible, we pray, and we talk about you know, the, the different things that we need to do in leading the church. And um, we, we were doing uh, uh, an exercise where, where I asked the question, how is the Holy Spirit leading at FCC right now? What ways do you see the Holy Spirit active and moving in this place? And the most common answer that was given was something like this. People are finding a healthy culture here. This is a safe place for healing. And I said, whoa. I don't even know that we consciously were trying to do that, but that is such a good descriptor of of what the church can be. The second came explicitly from Pastor Becca. uh, I asked the staff to email me, hey, I'm working on some new sermon series. What do you think, based on you know, your interactions with the congregation, what do we need to be diving into? What do we need to hear from the Lord in this next season? And she, she was the first to email me back. Some of you still haven't emailed me. Um, <laughs> but, but she said this, a, a series about healing, both as individuals and as a community. And then the third came from a Discovery Bible study that we did as a staff, and it is the passage that we're going to look at today. Um, And it's a passage that I've read a number of times, but I never actually saw it through this lens that really struck me this most recent time. So we're going to take a look at that passage in a minute. But here's what we're going to explore in the next couple weeks. We're going to talk about mental health, which has often been like a a taboo uh, discussion in churches. Um, But we're going to go there. We're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about finding health after traumatic experiences. What do you do when you've been through something really hard? We're going to talk about relational health. How do we develop healthy relationships? That's important that we actively actively engage in building healthy relationships. And then proactive health. How do we cultivate emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy relationships, emotionally healthy discipleship? That's what this series is going to kind of encompass. Here's some books that, uh, and, and there's more to it than this, but these are four that we're really going to use. If you want to snap a picture of that. And then uh, maybe give them a goog later to see which ones you might want to pick up. Uh, Finding Jesus in the Storm, uh, Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety, uh, Spiritual Practices and Community. This is written by a friend of mine, uh, and it's an amazing book that I love. Uh, And then Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And there's a whole series of books called Emotionally Healthy So-and-So, Relationships, Spirituality. uh, And I'm going to go through some of the stuff from those as well. But those are some of the sources for this series. And if you're looking, you know, maybe doing some, a personal deep dive in some of these, feel free to, you know, go online and, and pick one of these up. But let's get to this passage today, because it wasn't a coincidence that we, we studied this passage after, you know, kind of identifying the healing work that God is doing here with Pastor Becca saying we need to talk about healing in our services. And then we read this passage and was like, oh, my gosh, we really need to do this. We really need to dive into this. So this is from Acts chapter 5. Uh, It's a short passage, verses 12 through 16, and I'm going to read it, and then we'll kind of chop it up a little bit. And it says this, and before I read it, there's a couple of things that have happened in Acts already, right? Jesus has ascended into heaven. He tells them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and the community uh, is thriving, and the gospel is being uh, preached, um, and they're, they're taking care of all of the needs within the congregation. Anybody who has a need, it's being taken care of by the others. 
They're already starting to see some persecution. You know, it's not a shocker that the, the people who followed the crucified Lord are going to get some pushback as they continue to preach the gospel of the crucified and resurrected Lord. So they're getting some pushback already. And then they're, they're, they're in this situation where they're, they're meeting. They're meeting regularly, and they're doing it, and this passage tells us, in Solomon's colonnade, which is a part of the temple courts. So they're publicly gathering in this, this place of, of religious gatherings, and they're, they're doing their thing as a church. And, and so this is the context of that passage. This is what's going on when this passage comes up. Verse 12 says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So this is what's going on. As they're gathering, this is what's happening. And when I, before I put my faith in Christ, I would read a passage like this and I would go, were people really being healed? I don't know if I can believe these miracles. This doesn't make sense to me. It just, I don't see that happening. How can this possibly be true? And that skeptical side did, was, was not helped by the fact that we had a televangelist in Akron, Ohio, who... Um, uh, let's just say his services were more like a circus and uh, his healing services were a bit of a train wreck and it came out later that a lot of the people that were getting healed were, were staged. You know, they were planted ahead of time to do these phony healings. And so I, that made me even more skeptical because I'm like, look, these guys, this, this, this stuff's all fake. It's all made up. But then over time, I, I experienced healing in my own life. And more and more deeper I was in my faith, the more I actually started to see these things happen. And it wasn't all the time, but I've, I've prayed with people that they would experience healing and they've experienced healing. And I'm like, wait, this does happen. And, and then there's also this tension, I feel, because I've prayed with people for healing and healing hasn't come, at least not immediately in the way that I was asking for. And so when we read these passages, it, it can be hard for us to go, what do we do with this? And all I can say is, I just want to continue to have faith that if God wants to heal, he can do whatever he wants to do. Um, sometimes he heals the way we ask. Sometimes he doesn't, and I'm not sure why, but I do know this. Even the Apostle Paul, who was a huge giant of the faith early on, he, he, he talked about in his letter to the Corinthians about having a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know what that means. It's a metaphor for something. A thorn in the flesh, a, a messenger from Satan, he says. Uh, and he, he doesn't describe whether it's a physical thing, whether it's an emotional thing, whether it's something else that's going on with him, but there's something that is causing him pain and holding him back. And he says, I prayed. I asked the Lord to take it away from me. And he did. So now I have to figure out what it looks like to move forward with this thorn in my flesh. And even more so... The rest of the community didn't just leave Paul behind and go, well, hope you can figure that out. We're going to go up ahead. They, no, they have to figure out how do we help him along? How do we walk with him in this? And that's what we're called to do as a church. Because we need healing from more than just physical ailments. P 
Pete, Pete Scazzaro, in, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, that I recommended, says there's five aspects to our humanity. Physical, spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and relational. These things are all part of what makes us human. And at times, we need healing for the brokenness in all five of these areas of our humanity. But let's get back to the passage, okay? Uh, there's some interesting things going on, um, and, and I want to uh, briefly discuss uh, three details. First, the first thing that struck me was how desperate the people in this passage were for healing, right? I've talked before about the average lifespan in the context of the early church, and at 41 years old, I would have been pretty ancient. I'd have been a wise old sage. But without modern medicine, sometimes access to clean water or food shortages, uh, without a social safety net, think of how hard life must have been for healthy people, let alone those who were sick or disabled. They laid on their beds on the streets in hopes that Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. They are desperate for healing. And yet, here they are, still holding on to whatever hope they can. Some belief that there is a God who loves them and wants to heal them. And they'll do whatever it takes to find that healing. And I can relate because maybe it's not been a physical thing, but there have been things in my life where I was desperate. I was desperate. I needed God to break through. Have you ever reached out to God when you were hanging by faith by a thread? I know personally some of the most profound experiences of faith I've, I've had come in desperation, that Jesus has met me there. The second thing I love about this passage is that it's something that actually seems to be a contradiction. In verse 13, it says, no one else dared join them. And then in verse 14, it said, the Lord added to their number. And then in verses 15 to 16, it says that people were brought them to be healed. So which is it? Did no one else join them or did the Lord add to their number? It doesn't make sense. It can't be both, right? Well, this is one of the keys to reading the book of Acts or reading the book of Luke. If you're a Bible nerd, you might find this interesting. Everybody else, stick with me. <laughs> Luke, as a writer, often lumps people into two different groups. The powerful, the ones who have control, the ones who act like they don't need God because their life is going pretty great and they've got you know, power over others and they can kind of shape the world in ways that they want to. That's one group. Often you'll hear you know, Luke talk about Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, military officials, Roman government officials. He, he puts them in one category, those who are in authority. But then he uses this phrase, the people. And when he says the people, it's always in contrast to those. It's those who are oppressed. It's those who are humble. It's those who know they don't have it all together. It's those who, who, who really can't you know, shape the world in the way they want it to be. They're just holding on, right? That's how Luke kind of categorizes people. For the common folk, he uses the people. So no one else dare join them probably refers to religious leaders who are seeing all this happen from afar. And they're like, whoa, something's going on. They've got the favor of all the people, but we're going to keep our distance, right? They're doing this in Solomon's Colonnade. So it's right there where the religious activity is happening. And they're kind of viewing this, but they're like, ah, we don't think we can join. We can't go over there. And they were highly regarded by the people means that the regular Joes, the humble folks, were not keeping at a distance. They were leaning in. They were seeing this good news in action. The sick and disabled were doing whatever they could to find healing. Their friends were bringing them so that they could find healing. They were drawing near. I think it's important, too, that we understand another piece of context for this passage. In both Roman religion, the empire cult of Roman religion, and 
in that, in, in Judaism in that time, to be sick or to be disabled was actually a curse. There's something spiritually wrong with you, and here is the outworking of it, is you're cursed with this physical ailment. And you see this in the Gospels as people came to Jesus and said, hey, this person who, who is blind, are they that way because they sinned or because their parents sinned? And Jesus said, that's got nothing to do with it. But that was the common thinking at the time. If you're afflicted in some way, it's because you did something wrong and there's something wrong with you. So this is bonkers what's happening in the early church. It is completely countercultural. And it's still countercultural today. When I talk to people who are like, hey, if you want to do a church strategy, you got to put on a big show with flashing lights and make it really cool for all the people to come and say, yes, we want to be a part of this cool kids club. And you got to find the influencers. you got to find the people that, that everyone wants to hang out with. And you got to make them your leaders because that's how you're going to grow your church. And here we see in Jesus' ministry all through the Gospels. And here we see in the Acts of the Apostles in the early church, they're like, we don't care about any of that. We're here to bring healing. Jesus said it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's to the sick. That's who he was sent to, right? And the early church just followed in his footsteps, saying this is the ministry that God has given us. Recently, I just heard, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. It's a young pastor who I, I've mentored over the years. And he said it. He's at a church in an you know, urban environment where there's been a lot of gang violence recently. And, um, and he's just found that most of his ministry is just meeting with teenagers and processing what they're going through because it seems like every week they know somebody who's been shot. And his senior pastor is constantly pressuring him, go after the cool kids, not those misfits that need all this extra grace required. Go after these ones. That's how you're going to grow your youth ministry. And he's saying, wait a minute. Who is Jesus going to be spending his time with here? That's not, that's not the ministry I see in the Gospels. It's not the ministry I see in the book of Acts. We go to the hurting. We go to the ones who are crying out saying, I need help. And I think it's just so backwards and it's so easy to fall into. Most of the churches that I've participated in my life, they love that attractional put on a show, go after the cool kids. In the meantime, so many people get lost in the weeds because there's no place for them. There's no time for them. There's no one to listen to them. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He didn't say, Come to me, all you cool kids and popular people, and we'll go jet skiing together. He didn't say that. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of jet ski. Jet skis are cool. I'm just going to say that. But that's not what he said. <laughs> that was the heart of Jesus then, and that's the heart of Jesus now, is that broken and weary people come to him and find rest and find healing. The last thing that, about this passage in Acts 5 that I think is really important is just that. The primary activity that is making a difference in the community here in Acts 5 is not formal religious services. It's not evangelistic programs. It's healing. It's people finding out that the work of God, that what God is up to in this world is reconciling all that is broken. That he's compassionate and he cares for those who are sick, disabled, oppressed, depressed, anxious, you name it. 
It's like we're clay pots that have been dropped and broken, and he's here to glue us back together again. So what if that's what we really lean into as a church? And I think we already are, but what if we name that and say, this is what God is calling us to here and now in this season, is to be a church that's about healing. Our primary activity is working for the health of, of our members, of those who are a part of this church, but also the health of the communities that we live in. How do we as a church become and remain a place of healing? A couple weeks ago when Becca preached, she talked about this uh, parable of life-saving station, and I love that. That had a really big impact on me. And the cycle was these people came and they found safety. They found uh, they were cared for. They were, they were nursed back to health. But after a while, they kind of forgot all that was done for them and turned into like a country club mentality. And they're like, Ugh, let's keep these shipwrecked people out of here. They take too much work. Right? And the church has always had that tendency of doing that. We forget how much grace and healing we've received and we see difficult situations in people, and we're like, ah, that's a lot of work. That's messy. We forget that the disciples were just a band of weirdos that Jesus called to himself. You know, now we call them saint whatever, but then they were just some fishermen and tax collectors and, and people who didn't always fit at the top of the cool kids club. When we talk about this, we need to talk about two things. We need to talk about reactive health. How do we go toward healing of the places that are broken? But we also have to talk about proactive health. And so I'm just going to list a few general things about how we can do this as a church and how we're trying to do this as a church. But we're also going to talk about how we can start to do this as individuals. And then each week as we get into a different kind of narrower topic within the realm of health, we're going to be more specific about some ways that we can find that kind of health. So... First, as a church, let me give you a few things we can do to lean in towards healing. The first one is under this title, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And yes, that's the type, title of the book. But, but in, in, a, in a sense, all that means is that we do ministry that takes the whole person into account. The physical, the spiritual, the, the, um, the emotional, the relational. And I forget the other one. Uh, <laughs> which leads to my next point. Sometimes I forget things. We need humble leaders who will admit that. <laughs> we need humility in leadership. And, and that starts with, with, with our elders and with me and our, our leadership team here. But we have a problem, for some reason in Western culture, we have a problem with hero worship. We love to prop up people that we think are somehow better. You can read all about this and things. And you talk about the founder's myth, about how we think like CEOs of companies are this special breed of people that nobody else can be like. And they, every one of those CEOs will claim that they've got, they've got a, uh, what's it called, imposter syndrome. They're like, I don't know. I just kind of failed my way here. And, and uh, they think I'm good at this, so I'm just going to keep cashing the checks, right? Like, that's, that's how it goes. But we think there's some special breed of human, and we build people up and build people up, and then we're so let down when we find out they're human like us. And too often this makes its way into church leadership and, and we've just got to gotta be humble as leaders. I have to be honest about my areas of brokenness and I'm going to be vulnerable in this series and share some things that um, you, know, you might judge me for. But, uh, but I think that's important that we just recognize that I'm only healed and I'm only healing because of the grace of God, not because I'm special in any way. 
We also need healing communities, spaces where we carve out just to deal with the things that people go through. We have our voice ministry led by Jennifer McDonald. And most of these ministries are led by Jennifer McDonald. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that's a great place for people to come and, and process trauma and, uh, and, and you know, mental health struggles. We have divorce care for people who are, who've gone through the pain of divorce and just need a place to process that. And actually, we really need a, a, a female leader to help us with that group. So if you or someone you know might be a great fit to help lead that group because you've experienced uh, the, the, the painful journey of divorce, we would love to talk to you about that. You can talk to me, you can talk to Jennifer or Ken or Alan or any, just grab somebody, we'll figure it out. But there's other groups, right? I'd love to start a grief share group for people who've lost a loved one and are trying to process through that. Um, I, I, we've got our group for youth that's meeting right after this and that's awesome that we can create space for that. I'm hoping uh, this fall to start a group for men who are processing trauma and mental health stuff and just to have a safe environment for, for guys to just kind of, hey, here's what I'm going through. And not, we're not going to be giving out advice. We're just going to be listening, processing, praying. So if you're interested in that, come and talk to me. I'd love to talk to you if that's something you would want to be a part of. But these, these healing communities, I've just seen so much great ministry happen. Instead of saying, ah, all that stuff's a distraction. We need to be moving forward. No, we got to pause. we got to go there. We've got to go to the broken places and let God heal. Community involvement. We need to spread the word about healing that comes from Christ. We've got this voice panel on abuse. Do you know how many people in our community that are outside the church that have experienced abuse? The numbers are staggering. It's, it's, it's all over the place. And people need to know about this, and they need to know there's a place that they can come and they can process, and that there's a God who cares, who wants to draw near to them. Too many churches have too often minimized or ignored abuse. Others have participated and covered up abuse. Simply by being a church that will tell the truth to itself, to be honest with ourselves, we become a safer place for people to heal. People need healing. How do we invite them to experience it? The last one, prayer walks. This is a big one. I just reported two months of prayer walks today because I was like, oops. <laughs> I do a lot of prayer walks. I don't always report them. If you go to our website and you've been prayer walking, please, right at the bottom of the webpage, there's a thing you can click. Tally up your prayer walks. Send them in. Um, we're, we're hoping to have at least 1,000 people do pr or 1,000 prayer walks this year. And so uh, I know that they're happening, but we, we oftentimes forget to report them. But, but when we prayer walk, we're, we're praying. We're asking the Holy Spirit as we walk by somebody's house maybe, how does this person need your healing touch in their life? What areas of their life does God want to bring health? It's a, it's a beautiful way of just seeing a person, a whole person, and seeing all the ways in which Jesus is working in their life already and they may not even be open to that yet. Okay, so that's what we as a church are doing, and we just want to keep leaning and diving more into that. But how do I personally make a move toward healthy spirituality? How do I be proactive? What kind of practices can I do on a daily basis? You know, it's, it's, when we think about the physical, it's pretty easy. I was reading an article recently. It's like, hey, how to be healthy past 40, you know? Those are fun articles to read. I'm sure as each decade comes, they get more and more fun, right? 
And it was like, eat vegetables. Okay. <laughs> Exercise. That's about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's, it's really simple. It's just hard to do because I just want to eat pizza. But, but it's, it's these things that if you do them regularly, over and over and over again, you build proactive health, right? And that's one of the things I want to encourage us to today as we talk about building proactive health. When I first became a Christian, I thought that every time I came to church or went to an event or had a prayer time, I was supposed to experience God in this amazing, profound way that I was going to constantly just have that moment where everything is just like, ah, I feel so great. And I learned over time, I'm like, I don't feel that way all the time. I don't want to sing this song today. I don't know if I believe the words I'm saying right now. I found that to be true. And I was fighting through it. Because I don't believe it's in the ecstatic moments that our foundation of faith is built. I think it's in the week to week, day to day, the little things. The practices that we do over and over again. And oh my gosh, it didn't blow my mind when I read the Bible today. But it was another brick in the foundation of a really strong foundation of faith. Does that make sense? So here's a couple of things. There's all sorts of spiritual practices. You get the book, Spiritual Practices and Community. You can find ways to do this with your life group or your missional community. Um, but here's a couple I want to point out. One is this, vulnerability in community. And I know this is difficult for some, especially if you've been a part of communities that weren't safe. Maybe they were abusive or manipulative, or you were told something like, well, if you just had more faith, maybe you'd be healed. I was told that once. It's the closest I came to fighting since I was a Christian. <laughs> because like Paul, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I, I had faith and I have faith. And God chose not to answer the prayer the way I wanted to in the moment. And I don't know why. But maybe you've had an experience like that. Maybe you've been in a place that wasn't safe and it's going to take you some time, and I get that. But I hope that we can be a community that walks together through struggles with no judgment but with partnership, right? Um, and so, again, we as leaders need to lead the way. We need to be honest and open. We can't act like we're some better breed of Christian. But, but we also need to create an environment where we can actually do that, where we can be honest with one another. The other thing is this, daily examine prayer. You can find this online. I love this. People do this around their dinner tables. They do it uh, praying before they go to bed at night. And it's, th it's five questions to, to make sure that you're checking in with God and with yourself. And the first one is, where did I see God today? Second one is, what am I thankful for today? Third, what did I feel today? Yeah, we check in with our emotions. Part of being a human is feeling things. Question four. What should I pray for? What is tomorrow going to bring? What should I be focusing on? And then question five, how do I feel about tomorrow? Am I anxious about this meeting I have, this phone call I have? Am I excited about this thing that I get to do? It's just checking in with ourselves and with the Lord and then asking him, God, guide me tomorrow. Guide my steps. Another way, the thing you can do is journaling. Just writing things out, just saying things out, telling the truth by just writing out your experiences, how you feel, writing out prayers, Naming these experiences and these feelings are important because once we name them, we can address them. We're going to close with one, um, a listening prayer exercise. We're going to close with this in just a little bit. 
And, and this one I learned from Diana Shiflett, the, the spiritual practice and community. And uh, she took me through this, this prayer exercise a bunch. And it's, uh, I find it to be really good. We're going to take 60 seconds of silence. That's it. Sit in silence. And then we're going to stop. Okay, what things came through your head? And then we're going to do another 60 seconds after we've kind of cleared those things from our head and say, God, what is it that you want me to focus on? Bring to mind something you want me to focus on. And oftentimes it's going to be an area of health that you need to be addressing or looking into. And then you spend your time in prayer about that and then making, hey, what am I going to do about that? Now that God has brought that to my attention, what happens next? But it's okay to not be okay. We just have to embrace that. It's okay to not be okay. It's the human condition. We have brokenness in every area of our lives at one point or another. In Genesis 3, we hear what's called the fall of man, right? That's the title of that kind of section there where humans uh, disobey God. They want to be like God. They want to decide for themselves what's good and evil. And so they rebel against God, and there are consequences to that rebellion. Right. First, the relationship between God and man is broken. There's now this divider between God and man. The relationship between Adam and Eve, between people, is broken. What was once a, a close relationship now becomes a struggle. The, the relationship between us and creation itself is broken, and now it takes all this work just to survive from the land. And the other thing that happens is our relationship with our own self is broken. They were ashamed. That was new. Shame wasn't a part of the created order. It became because of a consequence of the fall. We ourselves are broken. Our relationship with ourself isn't right. But that's what Jesus came to reconcile. Through the cross, through his life, his death, and resurrection, that's what Jesus came to reconcile. Our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with the creation. That's what the ministry of Jesus is about. It's about healing all that was broken at the fall. He still heals. I believe that. Sometimes in big ways, sometimes in small ways, sometimes immediately, sometimes over time. His earthly ministry was all about compassion and healing and in his death, he took on all the pain and suffering of humanity. He didn't have to, but he chose to. He went there for us. Hebrews tells us that he's a high priest. He, he's a mediator between us and God, that we have the Savior who speaks on our behalf. And he was tempted and suffered in every way that humans are tempted and suffer. And he's with us in our suffering. His resurrection is hope that this is not the end. If it's not resurrection, if it's not complete and permanent healing, then it's not the end of the story. That doesn't mean to say we minimize our struggles now. We don't say they're not a big deal. We're just holding on till that eternal life. We don't minimize. We don't stop the prayer and the work of finding healing here and now. But we also don't have to lose hope when it takes longer than expected or maybe doesn't even come on this side of eternity. We seek to trust and hold on to that hope that the Apostle Paul says in Romans that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory revealed in us. It's resurrection hope. There is hope. The question I have is, can you believe that? If you're just holding on by a thread, can you believe that? That there is a God who wants to draw near to you in your pain. 
He wants to bring healing and hope and restoring. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we're going to continue to worship. But I want to close with that, 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 that listening prayer. Let's listen to the Lord this morning. Just a moment between you and him. I'm going to set the timer to 60 seconds. You don't have to pray anything in this first 60 seconds. The goal is to try to clear your mind as possible and see what sorts of things kind of float through your head. But 60 seconds, let's just sit in silence and try to clear our minds. Let's do that now. Sixty seconds is up. How many people felt like that was a really long time? How many people felt it went really fast? How many people, your internal clock is very well calibrated and it felt exactly like sixty seconds? <laughs> Ken, I knew it would be you, Ken. <laughs> so it's good to sit with that for a second. And okay, what are the thoughts that came flooding through your head? What are the things that like, are fighting for your attention right now that, that either may be from God or trying to you know, distract you from, from God? But what are those things that came through your head? Are right, we going to do 60 more seconds in this time? Ask the Lord to speak to you. Is there anything, God, that needs my attention that I've been ignoring or putting off? Or is there an area of my life that you want to bring health in and, and I need to open up my heart to that? Just... Pray that prayer and listen. Let's go for another 60 seconds. Some of you guys just got bad flashbacks because that's the alarm that wakes you up in the morning. <laughs> did, did you hear anything? It's okay if you didn't. It's okay if you did. 
Again, this is not about a one-time, oh, the heavens open. It's about a daily practice of doing that, of just silence, listening for the Lord. If you heard something, now you know what to be praying about this week, right? Now you know what to be working towards in your relationship with Christ and your relationships with others, right? If you didn't, it's just an invitation to lean in even further. Maybe go for two minutes because you're distracted and you need a little more time. Maybe a different discipline will be helpful to you to, to, to connect with the Lord, but I just want to encourage you, day in and day out, what are the ways that you can proactively be building health into your life? This last song that we're going to sing, I love it so much because it's us singing the truth about ourselves, right? When the sun sets free, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. The most true thing about us is not our mental health disorder or any physical ailment that we have. It's not about our past and what we've done or what's been done to us. The most true thing about us is that we are loved by God. So much so that he sent his one and only son so that every area of our life that is broken can be healed a little bit now, maybe big ways now, but perfectly and permanently for eternity. Let me pray and then we're going to sing together. God, I pray that as we respond this morning, that as we sing these truths about you and, and how you feel about us, how you define us, God, I pray that we would um, receive it in our spirit, in our, in our body. Help us to feel it. Lord, if anything has captured our hearts that's not healthy and it's not from you, God, give us freedom from it. God, if there's a battle that we're fighting that we just can't seem to face, God, give us courage. Give us victory. And God, remind us that we're not alone, that, that you are our Father. Never will you leave us or forsake us. And we've got brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles in, in the faith here, spiritual parents here in the faith. We've got people who love us and walk with us, help us to be open to one another, to be a family of healing. Lord, help us to see day in and day out all the ways that you are bringing healing to a broken world and to, to broken lives, Lord. We want to believe. We want to believe, Lord. Help us believe. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.